I'm building a treehouse for my boys. Treehouses are a lot of fun. They're a place of adventure. For Jill and I, the treehouse is the thing we're doing so that our boys will play in our backyard. We want them around us. We want their friends here. We want to be able to see what they're doing and interact with them. We're really looking forward to it. It's taken us a lot of time, a lot of energy and some real expense. But it's something we're glad to do because we want the memories. We want the boys here. We want to be able to interact with their friends. In our church, we're doing something quite similar. Over the next 30 months, we're going to be raising money and building out our new facility. It's a whole lot like this treehouse behind me, just a whole lot grander and bigger. It's very much because we want our friends with us. We want them in our backyard. We want them to be a part of us. We want them to walk the adventure with God, just like we are. And so we're willing to put our energy, our time, our money into building this facility. And we want you to be a part of it. We want you to help us create a place where people can come and experience God. We want to say to this community, we're serious about the mission of Jesus. And we know it's going to take a lot of time and energy and money, but we're glad to do it. We look forward to the stories that are going to be told, to the memories that are going to be developed. We look forward to the eternal change that's going to happen in people's lives. So, just like Jill and I keep telling each other as we go to Lowe's and buy more wood, or more bolts, or more support brackets, it's not about those things. It's not even about this treehouse. It's about our kids. It's about the memories. It's about the adventure. It's about the friends being here. I want to remind you that as we embark on this 30-month journey called Build Lives, it really isn't about a building. That's why we're calling it build lives, even though we all know we're building a building. It's our way of making sure we never forget that it really is about people. It really is about the investment in them. It really is about the effort and energy that God calls us to expend on the behalf of people that he gave his life for. We get to experience that. We want our friends to experience it with us. and We want them to do it with us in community at that new space. This is going to be an exciting ride. Don't you miss out. Don't you miss out on the adventure. Don't you miss out on the fun. Don't you miss out on the memories. And don't miss out on the eternal impact we're making in people's lives. Well, we want to welcome you one more time to Four Corners. And like I was talking about in the video, I wore the exact same shirt, just so you would know it's me. Um, like I was talking about in the video, it really is about that eternal impact. And today, I'm so excited. It's a great day to be here. There are eight folks getting baptized, and basically what they're saying is, is God has changed my life. And in some way, this church has been a part of it. A couple of my close friends are getting baptized today, and, and I didn't even make the dots, the connections of that until this morning. And I've just sat over there during our worship and just uh, kind of had tears of joy as I've reflected on our friendship and the way that God has brought our lives together so that not just them, but so that I'm impacted. And today, I want to talk to you about a story from God's Word that for me, in one sense, is one of the strangest stories, or at least the juxtaposition of two competing values is so stark and so obvious that it almost just seems, well, a little unusual, weird, difficult, challenging. And it's a thing that you're going to be able to relate to, but I don't want to just do that. I don't want to just share a story from God's Word so we can learn some stuff. There's a basic point that I think our church does really well at. The thing that I'm going to talk with you about today, I think we do this well. And the reason I want to share it with you isn't to correct today. I'm not trying to correct anything. I want to spur you on. I want to spur you on into this value that is so close to the heart of God. It's really all about 
there being a place for everyone. We started this message series talking about God's heart, that we have a place in his heart. And then we went to the next week and we said, because we have a place in his heart, we have his ear. He wants to hear us. He's concerned about us. He makes time for us. And today, I'm going to talk with you about how it is that we help people understand God's heart. You know, last week we talked about inviting our friends in, and we made a real concerted effort, Greg and I did, sitting on this stage in a conversation that we've had over and over again, we kind of had it in front of you last week, about inviting our friends to be a part of this relationship with God, and not just in general, but a part of His church right here, and a part of us. And today, I'm going to take you one step further. Now, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to the concept. It's a concept that if you've been around here, I've used this language before, but I wanted to unpack it because I think over the next few months, we're going to soar on this. And I want you to understand where we're coming from, where we're going, and why we take this so seriously. All right? So very simply, EGR. If you're sitting... In, in, in one of our staff meetings, which you don't, but if you were, and, and we were talking, and maybe over the last few weeks, we had been talking about the same kind of challenge. At some point in the discussion, after we've talked about it several times, we're sitting down together, somebody around my staff table will say, oh, that's just an EGR. And we're all like, yeah, it's, it's an EGR. Now, here, here's what an EGR is. You've experienced this if you're a mom or a dad, if you're a husband, a wife, if you're a friend, you've had a friendship that's lasted any more than just a matter of a few weeks, if you're a brother or a sister, aunt or an uncle, in other words, you've experienced this. If you've lived past the age of 13, it's already on your radar. EGR is this, extra grace required. Yeah, I heard a little chuckle there because all of us have experienced environments where there's a little extra grace required. The story I'm going to share with you today goes all the way back to the Old Testament where God was basically showing us his character and getting the world ready for Jesus. Getting the world ready to receive the greatest gift that this world had ever seen, a gift that would leave eternity forever changed, a gift that would leave many of us forever changed, getting us ready for Jesus. This story goes all the way back to Moses where Moses lives out one of the, one of the characteristics of God where God displays throughout time and eternity, at least in my life, probably in yours, this seemingly unending supply of grace in my life. And regularly throughout the pages of history, people who have followed God, who've gotten on board with God's agenda, while they don't have an endless supply of grace like God does, regularly they can dip down into some artesian well of grace that doesn't seem to flow just from them. It seems to have almost a divine source. These leaders, these ordinary people that are following God's agenda can reach down and in times where they don't necessarily um, feel like they want to possibly or where they don't feel like maybe they should have to, they're able to dip down into this well of grace and dis deposit joy and acceptance and love, well, just, just grace into situations that require it. This happens in marriages all the time. A few months ago, as a church, we read through a book together, many of us in a small group launch. We read through a book together, and we dug down into biblical marriage. And man, it was, 
was life-altering for some folks. Some folks, I think, thought they would read the book and they would get an instant change. I think that happened for a couple. But what happened for many of us, at least in my marriage, is it began to deposit seeds of change into our marriage that are still germinating, still growing, still flowing. And as that began to happen, what Jill and I discovered, we would come to these junctures in our marriage where one of us, often both of us, would have to deposit just a little bit of extra grace to get through it. Now, I'll be honest with you, most of the time, it, it was Jill having to be extra gracious because I can be a bonehead. And she would look at me, and, and, and I could see it in her eyes. She never said it out loud, but she'd be like, yeah, a little more grace right here, right now. He doesn't deserve it. He's a bonehead. But if we're going to move forward, it's going to require a little extra grace. Parents, have you ever been there? Where, where your kids, you know, they're demonstrating that they aren't fully grown up, that adolescence is in full swing. And, 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 and you know you've had the conversation before. You know that you're going to have it again, and it's going to sound an awful lot like it did last time, and yet they're going to look at you as if they've never heard it before. And you say to yourself, oh, a little bit of extra. How about managers in the building? You, ever, you have an employee that requires just a little bit of extra grace. And, and, and when they walk down the hallway towards your office, you're saying to yourself, oh, God, here we go. Here we go. I, I have friends like that. I love them to the core of who I am, and I want them in my lives. But let's just be honest, it requires a little bit of extra grace. Now, there's another side of this extra grace thing. And it's not the side where there's just kind of some goofy personal dynamics or a recurring challenge. It's just the side where a situation in life is so stark, so challenging so difficult, and you find yourself there as a family or as a couple or as a parent or as a friend, and the situation is such that maybe nobody was responsible for it, it kind of just happened to you, and there needs to be some extra grace distributed, displayed, spoken, lived in just to get through the thing. Do you know why we do that? It isn't because it isn't because we think, oh, I have this unending supply of grace. That's not why churches rally around displaying this extra grace required kind of dynamic. It isn't because it's easy to do. It isn't always even because people deserve to have it done to them, given extra grace. It's because for many of us, and I think this is where it gets down to why this church does a really good job at this, we realize, as the Apostle Paul wrote, that we have been demonstrated so much grace in our lives. Who are we to withhold it from others? We have been given an, uh, an incomprehensible gift. We have been given an overflow of God's character that has poured into our empty cups of his love and acceptance and valuing of us and patience with us. That when it comes time for us to be in those environments, not that it's easy, not that it's natural, not that it comes without thinking, but there is a place to go, a place of gratitude, a place of personal experience where we can reach in one more time and ladle out a little bit of that grace. But let me tell you about Moses in Exodus chapter 32. This is that strange kind of Bible story. Now I'm going to set you up, all right? for the story. Here's what's going on. This is that scene in the movie Ten Commandments with, with Charlton Heston. All right. Th this is that scene where Moses is on the mountain talking with God. It's one of the five or six places in your Bible where like 
the gap between God and creation really closes. I mean, it's up close. It's personal. The very finger of God is being marked into the mountainside on two tablets. And he's literally, the Bible tells us, writing the Ten Commandments with his own finger. Whoa. The gap between heaven and earth closed right there on the mountain. And Moses is leading his people beautifully. He's hearing from God. God says, go to the mountain. I got something I want to give you. This set of laws is not going to establish a relationship with you and me and your people. What it's going to do, it's going to reflect that we already have a relationship. And I'm going to show you how to live in such a way that the full benefits of being in a relationship with God can be realized. I'm going to make it clear There won't have to be any guesswork. There's some basic rules about how you relate with me and some basic rules about how you relate to people. And if you guys follow it, Moses, if you get your people to follow it, it's going to bring joy and peace into your life. It's going to prevent so much trouble. So Moses is up there talking with God, getting the Ten Commandments. It is closeness. He walks towards the mountain with Joshua, his predecessor, who's a young man at this point. Joshua has to stay at the bottom of the mountain. He waits for Moses to go up and talk to God and come back down. So they're talking, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, God stops. We we don't know all that's being said, but look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. Here's what the Bible tells us, the interruption of that beautiful scene where heaven meets earth. Here's what it looks like. Then the Lord says to Moses, go down. All right, we're going to stop. The mountain visit is over. Go down because, (laughs) I like this, your people. God says to Moses, they're your people. All right. This is not going to go well. I mean, you don't have to know how the rest of the story goes, but when God starts saying, I don't want anything to do with them, uh, that's a problem. Now, in this story, you're going to get a, if you'll allow me this, this is not theologically precise, so no need to send the email. I know what I need to say. But there's an emotion being communicated here from God of, it sounds like frustration. It sounds like God's patience is running to an end. I don't think that squares completely with the rest of the theology of God revealed in the Bible. I think what's really happening here is Moses is about to go through the school of leadership, through the school of life, where the lesson of the day is extra grace required. And God is going to, I think, put Moses on the fast track, the accelerated course towards learning God's heart for people, even as God demonstrates the frustration that exists in the normal natural dynamics of life where you and I constantly feel like we're always giving extra and more. Go down, because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast into the shape of a calf. And they bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Now, I don't know if you know the story or not, but Moses is on the mountain in the middle of a journey getting the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. They're halfway there. There have been so many miracles, such a profound display of God's power and grace. God's goodness has been on display. The promise-keeping God has been keeping his promises. And in the middle of that, they get frustrated and say to Aaron, the other leader, would you make us a God to worship? And Aaron's like, "Eh, let's see, good idea, bad idea. Yeah, let's do that. Go ahead and bring me your gold, bring me your silver, take off your earrings, take off your necklaces. And he melts it down and he fashions a calf and he says, this is the one that brought us out of Egypt. 
It is the starkest display of disloyalty in a relatively short period of time that you're ever going to find in the Bible. I mean, God's people in this situation couldn't have missed it more. And yet, there is one of the leaders rallying, rallying around this kind of distraction, while one of the other leaders is having the most profound communal time with God as God leaves the Ten Commandments. And God says to Moses, all right, our conversation's over. You've got to get down there and take care of your people. Look, look at verse 9. Here's what it says. I have seen these people, the Lord says to Moses, and they are, this is not good, they're stiff-necked. You get the idea there, right? That they are in charge. They're not going to bow down to the real God. They're going to do what they want. They're stiff-necked. They're hard to lead. The image here is of, of the horse's on a plow, and there's a, there's a shared yoke between the two, and there's a driver in the back, and you turn the horses by moving gently. And a stiff-necked horse, you really got a jerk to get them to go where they're supposed to go, but an easy neck, they follow the leadership. These people are stiff-necked. Now leave me alone, God says, so that my anger can burn against them, and that I may destroy them. You don't want to ever be on the receiving end of God's frustration with the word destroy attached to it. I mean, you don't have to know much about theology. This is just basic right here, all right? And then he says to Moses, listen to this. Moses, me and you, we're special. I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll start over and I'll make you the great nation. We'll get rid of all of them and you and me, we'll start over. I'll still keep my promise, but it will all be for you. Let's forget them. It's all for you. Now, I ain't going to tell you straight up, friends, I love you. But if God came to me and said, Ben, we'll make it all about you, I'd have to think about it for a minute. I mean, I'd like to say, like Moses, I would stand, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think this situation is ever going to happen to me. But Moses gets quickly schooled in the extra grace required lesson of the day. Look at how Moses begins... <laughs> begins to show the heart of God, really. I think this is the point of the whole story. Moses is going to get up to speed, and he's going to have a chance to live out what God has already been doing. What God has been already disclosing of himself, the character that is revealed consistently through the pages of your Bible, that God is an extra grace kind of God. And when you and I require extra grace, when we have failed yet again on the thing we promised last Sunday we wouldn't fail on, we come to him in humility. He's there, not with the pointing finger of accusation, but with the truthful, grace-filled commentary. Yes, you failed, but I'll take you anyway. God schools Moses on this situation, and Moses gets the lesson. He gets an A-plus on this day. Verse 11, here's what it says. But Moses sought favor of the Lord his God. Look, look at what he says. I'm going to tell you something, friends. I think this has something to do, this has something to do to explain why, why Moses was chosen. There was a softness in his heart to reflect the character of God, that God says, this is why I choose you. By the way, dads, husbands, young men who want to be married and lead their families one day, this quality of God is essential in your life. You won't ever live up to it fully, 
But the, the, the degree to which you live up to this characteristic that flows from God's heart that Moses is about to display beautifully, that you and I get a chance to do regularly in our life, to the degree that we live up to it, that's the degree to which we are truly reflecting the Father heart of God. That, that, to the degree that we do this, this is the degree to which the, the life-giving energy that God brings into marriages and families where life has a way of just sucking it out. God has a way of refilling it. The degree to which we do this is the degree to which that life flows in our families. See, God isn't going to insulate us, man, from a world. And we're never going to get so holy so that the, the nipping at our heels doesn't touch us. So that the pains and the struggles of life, we're, in, we're, we're, we're removed from it. That's never going to happen. We're here in the thick of it until the Lord comes and calls us away. And while we're here, though, it doesn't mean then that we're held captive to the whims and to the normal turns of our lives. There is a reservoir. And your willingness and my willingness to reflect God in the way that Moses is, it's going to be a significant ingredient to our success at what really matters. Moses says, Lord, why should your anger burn against, and you hear what he says, your people. God had said, Moses, they're yours. Moses says, ah, no, 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 no. Let's read, let, they're your people, God. They're your people. And you brought them out of Egypt. I didn't bring them out of Egypt. They're yours with great power and with your mighty hand. And Moses begins to plead for God's people. He says, God, basically, if you let me paraphrase, you can read it on your own and you'll see that I'm being true to the spirit of the text here. God, I don't like to hear you talk about destroying your people. That's not why we got on this thing together. What you're really about, God, in case you have forgotten, let me just remind you what your real heart is. Your real heart is for your people. You really want to see them through this thing. And if by chance, God, we've reached the end and you're really done, then let me tell you what needs to happen. You need to just forget me too. I'm so committed to this people. I'm so committed to the one too. Now let's talk about this people for a second. These are the ones that while they're talking, they're taking off their clothes and dancing naked around a golden calf and declaring that that calf took them out of Egypt. They're reveling, which in biblical terms means it gets pretty nasty pretty quick. They're dancing with flames around this golden calf in stark contrast to their loyalty to the God who had truly been leading them out. And Moses is saying, God, don't forget them. God, remember, you're the God who sees the beginning from the end. You knew this was not going to be easy. And God, I am still committed to the thing we started on. Yeah, I'm going to have to dip down deeper. <laughs> oh, I can tell you. It's frustrating. But God, let's not lose sight. Let me remind you, God didn't need to be reminded. The whole thrust of what God is doing in the scripture, the arc points in one direction, grace and forgiveness and redemption for people who don't need it. But Moses was having a chance to double down on this characteristic of God that was going to be essential for his leadership and essential in his own life. I don't think that Moses is the only one that gets a chance to go through these kinds of lessons. I think you and I, men, women, I, I think we get a chance to double down on this and to ask ourselves, what are we really about? 
Are we simply fed up and done, no matter how justifiable it is, with our marriages, with our kids, with that person? There comes a time, I think, when it's okay to say this far and no further. But really, what's the line? Where are we going to go when pushed into the corner to either take flight and leave or heap on grace where extra grace is required? How are we going to dip into the well? When are we going to? And what manner, what manner will that look like? Moses is getting schooled here. H- have you ever been schooled in this? Have you ever been face-to-face with an opportunity where you didn't create the situation, you're not fully responsible, but now you're the person being looked at to pour on the extra grace? Man, I have. I have. And as I was thinking about giving this message, my mind first went to all the places where I have been asked to give the extra grace. And after about five minutes, I got to tell you, I was pretty proud of your pastor. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing great. And then it hits me. Oh, crud. I'm missing it. it. It's like that humility conundrum. You know, the moment you believe you finally achieved humility and you're very proud of the fact you've achieved humility. It's like that book I wrote, Humility and How I Achieved It. Have you guys, have you read that? It, it, it's like that. I mean, I'm thinking about all the times that I've dipped into the well one more time for those people who didn't deserve it. (laughs) And it hits me. Oh, my gosh. I'm the guy. I'm the EGR. I'm the extra grace required one over and over and over again. And this strange dynamic shifts in my heart when I remember that. The well that I have to go to to dispense extra grace when it's my job to do it, It gets deeper. (laughs) The water gets more clear. As I remember that I'm not the giver of the grace. More often, I'm the receiver. Now, that is the attitude that people who, who have been redeemed by grace, washed in the blood of Jesus, put their faith and trust in his work on the cross and in his resurrection. That is the attitude that we're called to. Of course there are moments when you've been the giver of the grace. Of course. And it's okay to know that and take joy in that, that you followed God. But the moment we forget that we're the ones who have been the receivers of the extra grace, there is a, there's a missing element. It begins to look like this. It begins to look like a loss of joy and gratitude. When gratitude quotients among God's people begins to drop, and we're not grateful for his activity in our lives. We're not aware of it. We don't take time to reflect it back to him. God, thank you for. When that begins to drop, it's a clear indication that we think on the continuum of extra grace required that we're more often the givers of it than the receivers of it. When Paul was writing to churches that needed corrected, they were messing up. They had two big errors in the New Testament that all of Paul's letters, all of his writing fits into one of two camps. They couldn't get their theology of Jesus, who he really was right, and they couldn't keep unity. All of the New Testament letters, Jesus is the Son of God. He's a big deal. Don't forget it. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. And you've got to work together, friends. 
There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian doing God's work. It doesn't happen. We are together as a body. Can the finger say to the rest of the body, I don't need you? No. Jesus and unity. Those are the themes of your New Testament once you get past the Gospels. When Paul's writing to churches to fix that, his motivation for you and I being willing to keep Jesus at the front and keep people as a priority is because you and I have been recipients of grace. That no matter how often you've dispensed it here in this world, there is a heavenly Father that has heaped grace upon you and me to levels we can't even fathom. And it produces for Paul, while he is in chains, suffering for the gospel for people that don't deserve it. It produces in the chained up Apostle Paul, joy and gratitude. And an overflow, an almost endless supply of the ability to dispense truth with grace. I think in all my experiences of churches over the years since I was five years old and since I was 17, I've been employed by a church or in a ministry. This place gets this. God put mentors in my life who were grace givers. Some of them are in the room. And I watched them over and over and over again where it was clear they were right and they weren't treated right. I watched them over and over again dispense grace. He's put friends in my life and some of them are in the room when I was blowing it they dispense grace. God has now given us a church. That I think if there was ever a place where people could come and experience a fresh start, be accepted for who they are, we're going to tell them the truth without compromise, but we're going to do it in a way that says, we still care about you. You can still have a place here. I think it's this church. When these folks get dipped in the water here, not only are they being dipped into and being fully submerged into the love of God and being overcome with his grace and coming up clean, they're being dipped in our body. The body of Christ represented here at Four Corners. And they're a part of us. We're saying to them because we baptize them, we affirm all that God wants to do in your life. And though all the evidence doesn't point in the ark of God in that direction, we affirm the parts that do, and we're going to spur you on. We are for you. We believe God has put a plan in motion in your life. He's given you gifts and abilities and opportunities, and we want to help you leverage that. And I don't care what the world has said about you or your parents have said about you or some teacher said about you. We believe in God's work in you. I don't know about you, but my neighbors that live in my neighborhood, they need more of that. The kids that my kids play with, they need more of that. I need more of that. Now, sometimes extra grace is required because people fail. Sometimes extra grace is required just because life has a way of catching up. We have a family in our church that we've been kind of watching their story for a while. And I'd like, Rich, if you don't mind, make your way down this way. We have a family in our church who have been, well, they've just been going through it. And it's not their fault. They didn't do anything. And yet it is just like, it's raining on them. It's just raining. You know, we live in a fallen world. And, and it's just not fair. And uh, Rich, go ahead, Rich, and Amy Kepler, um, they've been in our church for years now. Amy and I have chatted, and I've said to, to them that I really feel like God brought them to our church, uh, in part, honestly, for me. Amy's faith is about as, as deep and mature as anybody I've ever met. And over the last uh, four years now, you guys have just had a, one constant struggle health-wise after another. Yes. 
take us just very quickly through the, the quick history of, of what's happened to your family over the last four or five years physically. Uh, uh, in uh, 2007, Amy was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And so since that time, there have been the surgeries and the courses of chemo, uh, a short period of remission, and then repeated courses of chemo and things like that. Uh, at this point, um, the chemo has um, reached its uh, uh, limited effectiveness, and, and so we're done with chemo, and, and hospice is on board now. And, uh, uh, so um, uh, Amy's at home, and uh, uh, she doesn't get out very much anymore. Um, and um, uh, basically, uh, uh, what she's been able to do is uh, try to manage uh, the pain uh, and the nausea that are associated with those things. And it's a bit of a dance, right? Because if you don't take your pain meds, you're in pain. If you take a lot of them, you're nauseated <laughs> yes. and you're not comfortable. And the truth is that she just doesn't get out. I mean, it's just, she's at that point where leaving the house is not something that happens hardly at all. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, it's too taxing. Yeah. And in the middle of this, you had open heart. Uh, well, actually, in um, yes, in uh, uh, December 2008, I had a triple bypass. Yeah, and um, uh, you were so. running and had a little shortness of breath because I mean you can tell you haven't taken care of your body. I held, yeah, I, <laughs> I really let myself. I mean, look at go this on. guy. I mean, it's like you know I look at myself and if you have triple, I am just screwed. I am. <laughs> wow. I mean, because you you were in pretty good shape and all of a sudden you 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 know you 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 have a serious issue yeah. in the middle of Amy's all of Amy's issues you, and then and then you found out you had colon cancer yeah I was uh, diagnosed with colon cancer and I went through the the, the courses of uh, of chemo and radiation now uh, for the folks that have been here they they've seen us various times sharing moments of success and celebration for the various pieces of the puzzle and prayers and concerns um, but right now it's just not looking good no no yeah. So I've had a lot of folks ask me, how are, how are Rich and Amy doing? How's Amy doing? And then almost always, how's Rich doing? Um, and so we've talked a little bit about that. Tell this church how at a time when I think, man, if there's ever a, a, a person in the Four Corners that needs some just extra grace from us and some extra support, it's you guys. How can we pray for you guys? Um, there, were, there were aspects of, of, of this time that we were able to, uh, to predict. Um, and, you know, in consultation with hospice and, yeah. and to get a better understanding of how th the, this time would unfold. But um, uh, I feel like I'm swimming inside the current, um, and uh, there are a lot of things that are happening day to day that, you know, we didn't predict and, and, and things like that that make it hard to, uh, hard to plan for and connect. And uh, quite honestly, those things exceed my ability to, to help and support Amy and, and, and maybe prevent some of those things. And I know if you're like most men, I mean, we like to think we're in control and that if there's a challenge, if we give it enough effort, we can make a tangible difference. But the truth is, that's just, you're just not there. I mean, it's no. beyond your ability. It's beyond anybody's ability. In fact, we were talking, it's really beyond even the, the ability of the medicine to give her much comfort right now. At this time, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're way down the road, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. So what are you guys praying for? Uh, well, we're praying that, that, that God would just uh, give us the grace to, to walk this um, uh, as, as he's uh, ordained it. Yeah. And um, uh, so... Um, uh, and so basically, basically in, in the language of like a lot of folks who maybe grew up in church, I think you said this phrase to me. Um, we're just praying for God's will to be done and the, and the courage to walk out that will. Yeah. And, and I, would, I would like to... 
I, I would like to see Amy comforted. Yeah. Um, uh, there are there are times because uh, I I can't connect with the with the times that her symptoms exceed you know the medication and things like that. Uh, and uh, so uh, I I just like to to see her comforted. And yeah, in times like this, sometimes churches. I mean. I'm the same way. We want to figure out, so what can we do? And so we think, mm-hmm. oh, we'll show up, we'll call, we'll visit, we'll invite her. That's not appropriate right now. No, at, at this point, that's, uh, that, that's more than she could do. Yeah. But she does love Facebook. She has an amazing blog. Yes. What, remind me of the, uh, the, the name of her blog. Do you remember? Uh, ice Cream Cone Every Day. Ice Cream Cone Every Day. If you Google that, you, you'll yeah. find it. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I have just been so encouraged by her stories. But Facebook's appropriate, emails are great, because then when she has these moments of, of being able to fully engage, she can do it at her own pace. Yes. Stopping by, dropping off meals, because she's really not eating. No, no, she'll have uh, uh, just a few bites of, of this and that, and, and uh, most of the time she's able to keep that down. Yeah. But, uh, but her strength is diminishing because of the... Uh, you know, Rick, so many people in this church, uh, if you're newer, you, you may not know this, but we've been in small groups with you guys or a knitting group, or a prayer group, or your testimony has impacted us. And I, I can't communicate how, just how sad we are, and yet we can't fix this. And, and part of why I wanted to share this story with our church is to help us remember that there are people who have made choices that require extra grace from us to engage them. But then there are people who just, they're just caught up in something that's beyond them. And there's an extra grace available there. And we don't know exactly how to display that to you guys. I wanted you to hear from me. In fact, I invited Amy, and she just couldn't do it today. No, she couldn't get um, I, I wanted you to hear from me, and then by proxy, all of us, we love you guys deeply. And we're so grateful God has sent you here. And we, we would take this from you in a heartbeat if we could. But in lieu of that, since we can't do all that, we're going to pray with you for peace, for comfort, for a reducing of the pain. Uh, we're going to ask God to heal her and know that at the end of the day, he's going to do what he is going to, to do and then to give you guys strength to, al- to walk through that. Now, there's a big event coming up in October yeah. that right now, that is the red-letter day we're waiting on, right? Your daughter's getting uh, married. S- s- September 24th. Yeah. And uh, so she's getting married. Yeah, uh, not, not October, my youngest. Sorry, right not near the end of this month, yeah. Your youngest is getting married, coming up here, and the goal is, is that Amy be fully engaged and uh, be there for the ceremony and see this thing happen, right? Yes. So here's what I'm asking you, Four Corners. We have a situation where, honestly, this is beyond any of us. It's beyond Rich and Amy. I'm going to ask you to sincerely pray. Now, truth is, is we could march you up here and tell your stories. We're going to do for these what we wish we could do for everybody. We're going to do for one what we wish we could do for And I want you to seriously pray for them. I mean, pray for Amy and Rich Kepler. For peace, for healing, for a reducing of the pain. It is hard to watch the people you love not be able to be comforted by medicine. And, and, and then when they take enough medicine, it, you know, they're disengaged emotionally or, or, or they're asleep or they're nauseated. Pray for them. And, and, and let's ask God in their story that not only he bless and comfort, encourage and give peace there, but that we learn the lesson that there are people all around us who need this kind of grace dispensed in their life. They're facing things that sometimes they caused it. Other times they got caught up in it. And it's just happening. But, but if the church doesn't show them grace and pour on the extra, they're not going to experience that tangibly like God wants everybody to experience his grace. So just by a show of hands real quick, would you show Rich? Yeah, you'll pray for Rich and Amy. Rich, we love you. 
And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask people to stand with me. I'm going to ask them to take out their Connect card. We're going to take a few steps. And then as we get done with that, I'm going to pray with you and for you right now. Guys, would you grab your Connect cards? And let's uh, take a few steps together. Just hang out right here. <clears throat> We're going to step over this way so the guys can begin clearing my stage. Um, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the very first time, it's a great day to do that. You know, this heart that we're trying to demonstrate as a church, it really is just God's heart for you. And if for some reason you've been able to live your life and this hasn't been crystal clear to you, that God loves you, there is a reservoir of grace that he'll take you. If today that got more clear, it's a great day to go all the way and just bathe yourself in his grace. You do that simply by saying, God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. Would you take me anyway? Would you forgive me? Would you be the Lord of my life? If you want to do that, you just check the box. In a moment, we'll pray. And in your own words, or you can use mine, you say, God, would you forgive me? I'd like you to become the savior of my life, the leader and the forgiver. And we believe that if you do that, you'll begin a relationship with God. And if you check the box, we'll send you some information about that in, in a non-threatening way. We're not going to hound your house. We're not going to call you. We're just going to send you some information in the mail, and you can find out a little bit more about that. Next step B, if you'd like to get baptized. Now, the next baptism should be the first one in our new building. If you want to get baptized... Go ahead and check the box. You'll be celebrating like these folks up here are. Next step C. Um, there are small group catalogs on your seats. And if you'd like to join a group, all you have to do is put the number of the group right there in your small group catalog. This is where the extra grace I'm talking about in a church often gets lived out. Not as we bump into each other randomly here on a Sunday morning, but as you get to know folks. And a small group is a great way to do that. We want you to be in loving, grace-filled relationships with people at church. We think it's the best way for you to experience all that God has for you. Next step, D. If you would like for us to join with you in prayer as you invite a friend to church with you next week for our big day, so that to some degree they can experience the heart of God, check the box and we will rally with you in prayer. Next step, E. Do you have an EGR friend in your life that God's asking you to help carry? A little bit of extra grace in their life and you're having a hard time with that? Hey, let, let's pray about that together. Nothing demonstrates the heart of God more than when we display His grace, especially for folks that need a little extra. Now, I've got an F today, just a, a next step F. You'll have to write this in. Here it is. I'm an EGR. I'm an extra grace required, and there's a specific thing that I need a little more grace about. Would you pray for me today? If you'll check that, we'll pray for you as a staff. Write F in. You can maybe give us a little detail or not, and we'll rally with you in prayer about that. Would you bow your head? Let's pray about these things and lift up Virgin Amy. Father, uh, this week I have been overwhelmed with what a privilege it is to be a part of your family where you love us and accept us just as we are. God, I'm grateful that on occasion you've challenged me to be a grace giver. Thank you for that privilege, Lord, that you would trust me with that. But God, most of all this week I have been overcome with joy that I have been a grace receiver from you, from your people, from people in this very room who I have disappointed and failed, you have used them to pour grace into my life. Thank you. God, we want to be a church that gives grace. God, I lift up all of those that are now that are making decisions to follow you. They want to be connected to the grace-giving God. Help them to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Wash my sins away. I'll follow you with my life. God, and I lift up every single person who needs grace in their life. God, I pray for Rich. I pray for Amy. God, I don't know all that you're going to do in their life, so I just pray boldly, God, that you would touch her body and heal her. Raise her up, Lord. 
But God, if that's not the path you have for her, give us grace to follow and boldness and clarity and strength. God, we love them. I pray not only for Amy, I pray for Rich. And God, this would be a time of him drawing close to you. And even as he feels, as he said, that he's swimming in the current, that he would find a strength that's not his own and that he would experience the love of this congregation like never before. God, as we pray for Amy, as we send her emails and as we give her space to go through what she's going through, I pray, God, that she would know how much we love her. We give it to you. God, thank you for the folks that are saying today that they are proud to go public for what you've done in their lives. And make us a church, Lord, that never, ever, ever shies away from being grace dispensers. We pray it in your name. The strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.